Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is the last day of January. Well, January 31st. 2020 strong hand golden age of the 2020s welcome to it bitcoin is the next bitcoin one bitcoin equals one bitcoin value your wealth in bitcoin you know i'm offended by selling that bitcoin all right dudes well this month has gone by real fast <laughs> I, I i can't believe it's going to be february tomorrow i guess there's a big football game this weekend some people are going to be watching or something Dustin of Did You Know Podcast is here. David Nage has returned from ARCA. And, and we got Alex Edelman again making, well, he's been here a lot from, from Lolly. He's here. He's offended by selling Bitcoin. He's trying to get you more Bitcoin. But all right, dudes, let it, let's start off with the news of the week. We'll start uh, with David. I, I was impressed uh, by the tweet that is linked to below. And by the way, all these guys are linked to below. I got to say, hello, my elite friends out there. Um, check out all the links below. But uh, a, a better metric than uh, boring all in market cap. And a lot of people are excited about the Bitcoin price, but I'm excited about the realized cap of, of Bitcoin, okay? It has reached an all-time high of over $103 billion, and the previous all-time high was back uh, on November 18th of, of 2019. So uh, what does this all mean, David, in, in your opinion? So I think it's interesting. There's been some work by Glassnode that you're citing, and Rhythm Trader obviously uh, put out that tweet also today too. And so from Rhythm Trader and from what I've been able to ascertain, market cap or what we're calling realized cap uh, is calculated by taking the value of all coins at the price they last transacted on chain. And so it's an interesting thing that's happened within the Bitcoin community, within digital assets in, in grander scale, is that we're all trying to figure out how to actually analyze what's happening here. We're trying to come up with new world metrics to be able to tell people this is what's happening, this is how Bitcoin is growing. And so I think it's really interesting that Glassnode also talked about what they consider healthy Bitcoin growth. They compared the daily net growth of entities and the net growth of addresses. And they noticed that there is some really good, healthy, consistent adoption of Bitcoin over the last 10 years. And so we've been talking about this at ARCA. We talk about this to other institutional investors. We talk to them about the overall growth of the of Bitcoin. And so we also look at the number of Bitcoin or cryptographically powered wallets. We've seen tremendous growth there. Um, I believe we reached over 40 million at the first half of 2019, representing basically enormous growth from less than 8 million users in uh, the second quarter of 2016. So all of the numbers that we're seeing indicate that further adoption of this is going up. Um, and why do we think that's happening? We think that's happening for a few reasons. We think that Bitcoin is starting to resemble a global macro hedge. What does that mean? What we saw in the beginning of January of 2020 is that we had the U.S.-Iranian uh, conflict. We saw that the initial first days of that, Bitcoin did not necessarily move as quickly. It took a few hours after the first uh, parts of the conflict occurred. But then what we started seeing when the missiles uh, were sent over from Iran to the bases 
um, where the U.S. were that Bitcoin really moved very quickly within minutes. And then what we really found quite interesting is that when Trump de-escalated, it moved down within seconds to minutes very quickly. And we started to see that, you know, perhaps the market itself is starting to acknowledge that Bitcoin is a risk off, risk on, risk on trade. And that for many institutional investors, this is something that they could start taking a look at and putting into their uh, their tool set effectively. For many institutional investors, so people can understand is that they try to manage risk using the tools that they've had at their disposal for a number of years. And one of the primary ones for many years has been gold. Gold is basically what I consider a butter knife that has a set time that you can use it. You can use it from nine to four, nine to you know nine to four thirty, whatever it may be. Whereas Bitcoin is basically a samurai uh, samurai sword that is cryptographically powered that you can use twenty four seven three sixty five, and it helps you cut um, and provides you the ability to really cut through a lot of the volatility and the global chaos that we are starting to see. And I say chaos in a in a manner not to frighten people, but we are starting to see some things that are happening here that are frightening people and are frightening investors. Iran and the U.S. conflict was one of them, but now we're starting to see the coronavirus take effect. We're starting to see things happening where Delta and the American Airlines are ceasing flights to, to China. We're starting to see a lot of concerns that China's GDP is going to be negatively affected for the first quarter, at least maybe to the second quarter. And they are a major component of global, uh, global macro uh, economic behavior. And so we, we are starting to see that potentially this adoption and, and this furthering curve up that we're starting to see that we start with Glassnode and with some of the things we're talking about in terms of realized cap, that investors out there are starting to acknowledge that Bitcoin does present properties that allow them to really manage risk in a new way that they didn't have before. Whoa, you just laid it all out there. Pound that like button, everyone. All right, Derek, he, he just put a lot out there. Um, you probably have some comments there. He mentioned, uh, well, one thing that I like to say, that gold is old there, that this is uh, this is what people are getting into in, in, instead of gold. Uh, and also, you mentioned the term entities. And uh, the, the glass guys said uh, there are 23 million, oh, 23.1 million entities uh, holding uh, Bitcoin right now. That that was something I wanted to bring up, and you you touched on it. So, uh, Derek, do you have anything that uh, any comments on what was just said, or uh, uh, about Realize Cap or the entities owning uh, Bitcoin? Derek, Dustin, 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 Dustin I said, oh, I'm calling you Derek, man. Yeah, I'm no, like that's... Derek in a Dominoes, man. No, uh, it's uh, Dustin, guys. Yeah, sorry. I don't sorry, even know what no. I'm saying here. Sorry, Dustin. Sorry. I'm you uh, uh, no, so I mean, looking at that, in, and I had only uh, briefly looked over that that Medium article, but I mean, this has been brought up in separate stories as well. One of the, you know, the concerns that is being brought up with this is the amount of money, or I should say the amount of Bitcoin uh, being held on exchanges, especially with Coinbase, you know, approaching a million Bitcoin. And I think in the article, I don't want to keep on scrolling and make you guys wait, but it was like a little bit over like two point something million Bitcoin was being held uh, by by uh, multiple exchanges, which if you consider the amount that's probably been lost over the years, Satoshi's uh, coins that have never moved and, and likely never will um all this stuff, I mean, we're far below the 18 that's in current circulation. And this this does uh, concern me a bit where that much money is held up in custodial 
um, wallets where it's not being accessible by or not being held by private keys of the actual users. And I think that this is a step, um, you know, custodial and all that. This is a lot of people are just not used to the way all this works this is very, very new. This idea of like holding your keys and if I lose it, I'm done for. Right. Um, it's, it's a kind of a jump in, in the mental processes that people uh, need to kind of go through to understand how wealth is going to be held in the future versus being used to Visa reversing your transaction if, if, uh, if somebody stole your credit card number. But I think that is something that, that is a matter of education by individuals uh, like uh, everybody here of trying to get people to be able to, a, a larger number, there's always going to be a certain amount that hold uh, their Bitcoin in custodial solutions because they're more comfortable with that. And, and that that's fine. I'd rather them do that than holding their U.S. dollars or Russian uh, rubles in, in, in uh, custodial banks. But uh, I think that we, we still have a long way to go for this. And the more money or the more Bitcoin that is held by private keys of users versus in custodial wallets, I think that that's another good metric that we should be looking at as well. You really brought, you brought up a, very, a good point that I, I forgot about from the, uh, the, the Glassnode uh, article that, okay, there are 23.1 million entities out there that own Bitcoin, okay? But like the top seven or eight, I forgot what it was, are exchanges, are, are custodial, and they own like uh, 2 million Bitcoin. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable uh, the amount of people who think they own their Bitcoin, but let these exchanges hold their Bitcoin. Um, and uh, th th that that was uh, uh, shocking uh, for some. And just a reminder of what you're saying: we got to learn to uh, uh, control your own private key. Everyone's got to get on that uh, bandwagon. Alex, uh, what what's your take? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, you know we deal with um, somebody at the beginning of the funnel, someone who's just getting into Bitcoin, and um, you know zooming in a little bit on like more of the micro trends. Um, you know, we, we function very similarly to like a, to exchange. We have custodial wallets, um, but we also see that, you know, what percentage of our users are um, moving off to their own to their own addresses. Um, and so when that hits, uh, the more that, that hits, the more that the exchanges, um, you know, move their money to the wallets, uh, assuming it's not, you know, being manipulated, which is probably a false assumption. Um, you know, I, I think that's like we see that 90 over 99% of our users do not move their money out of our wallet. And, and so if, if that's anywhere close to the number that of Coinbase or anything, um, I think that this number is actually very small of the people who believe that they're in Bitcoin or have Bitcoin, which I, I think is a real Bitcoin uh, user because that's somebody who will get smart. They will start to um, you know, realize in the future, they will understand private keys in the future. And it's just a matter of time about teaching them about self-sovereign banking identity um, and uh, the self-sovereign individual. So I think it's, I, I, I kind of think that it's such a small number, but it is a good number to, uh, as an indicator of like retail adoption. Um, but also like if we, you know, go back to manipulation, um, I mean, who's to say that, you know, an exchange can't just like, you know, spin up a bunch of addresses because they change something in their, um, you know, business operations. Like, you know, Coinbase is, has, you know, uh, probably a million, multi-million addresses that they've spun up over the years. Um, if they change one thing in their in their business ops, as you know, we could as well. Like, I could see like you know somebody manipulating the market like dramatically with that number. So I actually I, I, I remain skeptical of if that number is actually that real. 
Okay. I, I, it's good. It's, it's good to be skeptical. These guys, I mean, yeah, we're trusting that these guys uh, methodology is really uh, uh, measuring everything uh, accurately. So I thought it was, a, it's an interesting new way. I like to, I like to hear about new methodologies of, of looking at things. And uh, I, because people always ask how many people really own Bitcoin out there? How many entities own Bitcoin? All right. Let's talk about smaller transactions here that you, I mean, you, you know about small amounts of Bitcoin going back and forth. When people use Lolly, uh, they get Bitcoin back on, on purchases. Let's talk about the, the Lightning Network and what everybody was talking about yesterday. Jack Mallers and his uh, strike uh, that allows people to directly uh, pay their Lightning bills from their bank account. What was your take on this, Alex? We were talking a little bit about this before the show. I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's one of the, I mean, it's, it's extremely bold. Um, I, uh, I mean, look, I, I think he's one of the best builders in the space. I think he like thinks about, um, he's, he's like pushing the boundaries on like UI, uh, UX design. Um, he makes things, you know, Jack makes things incredibly easy um, to, you know, I, I've been impressed with Olympus. Um, I've been impressed with like everything that he's built. Um, my uh, worry is that like, just reading, you know, the literature that's out there that he's published, um, I personally like worry that he's not, um, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And I want, you know, I'm all for everybody like, you know, pushing the boundaries, you know, making things uh, that are cool and bold. But I worry about people protecting themselves because you can't keep building if you are in jail. Um, the what the current process looks like is it looks like directly illegal. Um, now that I, you know, everybody plays in different boundaries and I'm all for people again, pushing adoption, um, through all means. But, um, I, I do worry, it doesn't look legal to me at first glance. Um, and you know, we deal with a lot of, um, uh, legality with our business of how we're transferring and making sure that it is legal at all points for not just us, but for the consumer as well. And so, um, that's, that's the next piece that I would like to see answered is, what uh what lawyer has like cleared this for these users because i think something as like a a builder it's not just about me like i i could you know i could be like looking out for myself i could be like you know doing all the things right for me but if i'm building something that's putting my users at risk then i just need to be very clear at what that risk is and i didn't see any piece of that in the medium post so i don't want to call them out i mean i don't not like you know i just think it's like that should be the next piece to to address um, because essentially what he's doing is he's, he's, he's creating a money transmitter, but without the legality. So I don't want him getting in trouble. I don't want the user getting in trouble. And before they launch, I think that'd be something very important to cover or open source it. And, you know, just like, don't, don't launch it yourself. Like, you know, I don't want him getting in trouble. He's one of the best builders in the space. I very much respect everything he's doing. Um, and, but it's, it's dangerous territory. Um, before we go on, the, I want to hear Dustin's take on this, but with your, uh, with Lolly, is it a pain in the butt, uh, with all these small little transactions, is it a pain to report all this to the IRS and everything right, right now? Like every little transaction that you do, you have to report to the IRS, right? So, um, so we actually operate in a very interesting category because rebates are not taxable income. Uh -huh. So that's, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an accountant, but that, that was one of the, the, the interesting pieces of our business that a lot of people don't realize. 
that's the that's the stance that Ebates takes. That's the stance that all these rewards uh, companies take. And that you know, I, Ebates bought my last company, and that was one of the insights that I brought to uh, to the Bitcoin space. So it's it's really like you know, people are welcome to you know report the, their earnings. Um, some some accountants, I'm sure, would encourage people to. Um, technically, it's like you know, our our stance is if you have if if Ebates isn't reporting their rebates uh, as income, then do you really have to report your Bitcoin as income? Now, when you transfer it or when you when you actually exchange it back to the U.S. dollar, um, that's a little that's a little bit different. Uh, it's really you know, you know you are making a transaction. Uh, you're essentially selling it, but all the Bitcoin that you've earned is is a rebate uh, in, in in our flow of funds. Okay, a- excellent. This is a good insight. I'm learning new stuff here. Everybody, check out Lolly. All right, Dustin, your your take on this Lightning Network uh, development by uh, Jack Mallers uh, strike? Yeah, I. Ooh. Did you go? Oh wait, uh, Dustin, you there? Oh, your connection went a little whack on us. I'll, I'll hop in with another piece if he's if he's not. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this. Oh, too. go for it. Go for it. Yeah, Dave. David. So I, I agree with Alex. Um, and as it relates to the first uh, kind of thread that we were talking about, as it relates to kind of bridging this gap between you know the legacy to the new, you know, Alex is right when you're talking about transmission of funds, transmission of assets, you have to ensure, especially in this day and age, that you do get those proper money transmitter licenses. And as anyone out there probably knows, you know, you can do that here in the United States, state by state. Um, and then you can also go that and do that federally. Um, both of those are time consumptive. Um, they are economically consumptive. Um, sometimes there are certain states that can take a few months. There are certain states that can take a year and a half. I think California is a fairly arduous one to get through in terms of money transmission. And so that is really important. But I want to emphasize the fact that from a first glance, what Strike is trying to do is interesting because at the end of the day, especially as it, as it relates to retailers, there are issues. You know, retailers, you know, the, the adage was is that retailer would not necessarily want to be paid in a Bitcoin because of the volatility and because they don't know if they want to hold it for accretion value or if they need to just uh, get rid of it and sell it off. Um, and so then there's also the issue in regards to that regards to volatility. But then as it relates to the actual Bitcoin holder using Bitcoin for the tax purposes, you know, that is something that is quite cumbersome. Every time that a person uses Bitcoin to potentially purchase something that is a taxable event here in the United States. And so trying to deal with those issues, I, I applaud. Um, but at the same time, I agree with Alex. You have to ensure that you are working with the proper resources to ensure that it is something that is you know, regulated and something that is properly uh, set up so your users are not uh, obviously at the end of the knife. But again, as it relates to this bridging of the, the legacy to the, to the new, as it relates also to exchanges, I saw that you know, I heard that you guys were talking about kind of centralized exchanges as it relates to the first thread, as I mentioned. It is worth noting that for you know the purposes of trying to bring outside people into the into the Bitcoin sandbox, we need to be cognizant again. And I've said this before on the show that if you're talking to institutional investors and you're talking to family offices and others that we all have said that we want in this space, they need certain things. They need to have custody. They need to have protections. They need to have 
a lot of the fiduciary responsibilities that many retail investors don't necessarily think about. So yes, you know, do I believe in not your, you know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin? In theory, yes, and I, I am a, I am a proponent of that. But I am also understanding that to bridge this gap, to bring people outside of digital assets and Bitcoin, to bring them from the outside in, we need to have these bridges there first. And that's why I'm really a proponent of what Alex is doing at Lolly too, having the ability to do what you normally do on a daily basis and consuming and buying things online and being able to earn Bitcoin in that fashion is something that I think is potentially massively important to furthering adoption outside the box. Again, we've been, I think a lot of us in the space in the ecosystem for the last few years have been focused about building things for inside the box. And we need to continue to think about outside the box and how we can get people, the billions of people that are not currently in Bitcoin in. Wow, very, very good point there. Bringing the newbies. Yeah, it, it, it's, it can't be too uh, technologically sophisticated. There's got to be easy on-ramps for them, definitely. Uh, Dustin, you've got your connection is back now. Thank yeah. God. What do you got yeah. to say? No, 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 it went off. Of course. Aye. Um, one more. Yeah. Yes, Alex. Alex. Now Alex's connection went a little whack there. That's, that's a very interesting. Hang on. Alex is having connectivity issues here, it says, and so is uh, Dustin. Oh, my God. What is going on? Hey, we've got the two of us. Hang on a second. There's Alex. There you go. Yeah, you're, you're back. Cool. Um, yeah, so I, uh, one, one more piece about the, the strike stuff. I, I think, like, uh, David, th um, thank you for the, the kind words. And then also I think we're on the same page about a lot of things. Um, and uh, I think that... There, like if we were to just let's just take, take, take this assumption that um, just for the sake of, you know, moving the conversation forward and I, I don't want to be a stickler for the rules. Uh, I'm you know, I, I want people to push you know, innovation forward. Um, and so let's just talk about uh, am I back on. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's just talk um, like strike, assuming it's, it's legal and assuming like let's just say like an exchange were to be using this technology. Um, in in it, you know open source capacity and had a money transmitter license like the user experience of this um, is very interesting. It's who who would benefit from this uh, flow of funds that is a novel flow of funds is is essentially what um, Jack has created. So what's I think most interesting is that is like who benefits from this. The nice part is that a consumer could hypothetically easily put in their debit card. They send um, funds to somebody who wants to receive their funds in Bitcoin. And the advantages of that is that the, the, you know, the fund is immutable. Um, and so where like the incentives that would be in place if someone were to take maybe like give somebody a discount because they paid in Bitcoin would be very interesting because they know that there wouldn't be chargebacks. So if I were him, I think that there could be uh, ways in which I would message it better or and differently, I think. Um, about like, you know, the strategy to go to merchants and to convince them, hey, this could be a way for you to accept Bitcoin um, and it would be immutable. Um, you know, work around the debit card companies, work around the credit card companies, the banks. Um, that would be a strategy I would, I would deploy. I think that there's still very few merchants that actually want to accept Bitcoin. Um, I know personally, just talking to our, you know, thousand merchants, um, I think it's very difficult for them to understand or think, even think about uh, changing their balance sheet, changing their tax 
um, you know, their accounting practices to accept Bitcoin. Uh, even if they were to, you know, use something like this, I think it would be very difficult. So you'd have to change the flow of funds for someone to actually pay with debit card, maybe if they want for privacy and like, you know, do something of like through Bitcoin, through like a, you know, a, an address that's spun up and then back to cash. But at that point, like, is it cheaper to transact um, than, than like the alternative and what are the actual benefits uh, to the user? Like maybe the fact that like you can't, um, maybe the fact that it's immutable is enough, but, uh, and you can reduce chargebacks, but at the same time, that's like a, it's, it's, there's a lot going on there. And it's, I think it's, it's, it's not quite there yet. That's going to bring the masses uh, into it or um, make, make something, um, make it more approachable for even the, the current users to use Bitcoin or want to use Bitcoin. All right. Uh, Dustin now, I'm sure his connection is great. Take, I, take I, it away. I, yeah, no, I hope. The, it's it's very strange. The minute you say something, it goes away. It's uh, you might want to get rid of your uh, your picture. There's a way to like eliminate video, like no no video. That that might do it. Just so your audio. I think that that might uh, solve the problem. All right, uh, go. All right, yeah, Dustin, can you hear me now? Yeah, he's there. Dustin, speak, please. I, I, you're, you're, you're the new person on the panel. Everybody wants to hear what the new guy has to say. Oh, man. All right. Okay. Dustin, you hear us? Okay, you're unmuted now, so, so speak. It's not working. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Oh, okay. Um, in, in regards to to what uh, uh, David was was speaking on, as far as for institutional investors, I, I completely agree as well. That that's going to be a huge part of of Bitcoin, and not to uh, act as though we're going to have um, family offices and and institutions. As he said, they're not going to be saying they're holding their own private keys. Um, I'm just more concerned with the central points of failure um, for individual users in, in exchanges. Um, as far as for uh, with with Jack and it was a great point that Alex brought up about uh, you know issues with with legality. I remember I had to do a thing with FinCEN back in like 2013 when I was trying to rent out. Um, I was worried about being a money transmitter. I was renting out my GPUs for mining um, on like little short term contracts on eBay, and that is something that can really get you in a really bad pickle if you're if you're not very careful with it, but. I think things like this are, are very interesting. It's great that you, you can do that, um, but you know you, you always want to be very careful in in terms of uh, not getting the department of making you sad um, on the uh, on the bad side of you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry you had to have an experience dealing with these uh, uh, bureaucracies and what whatnot. And uh, before we move on to some actually some bureaucratic uh, type of uh, topics. David, did you have anything else to add uh, to Because I thought you were going to say something else. No, I, I think I agree with Alex. You know, we all are trying to walk this plank of trying to ensure that we do not stymie innovation, yet ensure that we are doing things that do not put us all in jail. I know that sounds kind of funny, but um, I, I think we need to, you know, there is this balance. And I think we here in the United States, 
We've had the benefit of working with regulators that have been very open to this and have worked with companies to learn how, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, the underpinnings of that are, are operating. And so I think at the same time, you know, I agree with Alex. We, we don't want to stymie innovation. We want to continue to have founders that are going to break those boundaries. You know, for, for instance, Uber you know, was they had a, you know, kind of a mantra of, you know, breaking things and going fast. And, you know, that came to kind of bite them in, in the behind a little bit. You know, they obviously they went public and they've generated billions of dollars, you know, in the meantime. But I think for us, you know, to have sustainable growth and ensuring that our founders are doing things in the correct mass in the correct fashion really helps for overall kind of uh, kind of optics with other people. We want to make sure that we, we don't have you know, founders like Quadriga and anything like that hitting the, uh, the the news waves because every time that that happens, it's a further kind of black eye and it, it kind of further slows down adoption of the overall asset and uh, of Bitcoin. All right. Now, speaking about clarification of, uh, of so we all don't end up in jail, all these, and I love the innovation. I wish there weren't all these rules out here and people didn't have to worry about uh, getting thrown in prison and everything. I think it's ridiculous how strict uh, the government can be, but uh, if, if you are a creator, if you're starting a company in this space, you got to deal with them. And so we've got a guy running for president. There's a, a presidential election coming up in America. Maybe some people have heard about it. And there's a, there's some Iowa caucus coming up. Uh, I guess it's next Thursday. I don't know what it is. Uh, it, it's very soon. Uh, and so there was an article. There are a lot of crypto people that like Andrew Yang. Let, let, let's start out with that. Okay. And it, he's, said for a while he wants to clarify everything and we all want clarification we all definitely want clarification and everything is also relative in politics how many of the people running for president actually can use a computer even that's a great question so when you hear andrew yang uh talking about cryptocurrency talking about bitcoin uh people have gotten excited so uh let's start with dustin what's your take on andrew yang well, I've been pretty critical of him for a long time, mostly just because I think that his his policies are are quite uh, a, a bit ridiculous, and I thought it was quite smart for him to use the the math pen as as kind of the meme that he's uh, surrounded himself with because it kind of insulates people from actually looking too much at the actual math of of what he's proposing. Uh, but in terms of crypto, he is. Constantly come he, one. He doesn't hold the Bitcoin ethos. He doesn't believe in like the you know the principles that underpin uh, what what Bitcoin is, or at least what what I believe uh, the principles of, of Bitcoin is. And he doesn't really ever mention it too much. He just uses kind of that ethereal crypto term or blockchain. Um, and the way that he's talked, it seems to me more that he is he either understands it and and actually really understands. You know bitcoin and everything or uh he doesn't really understand it at all but if he does he's being purposely really you know opaque about this and just uses this very you know, nebulous term of, of blockchain he talks about like blockchain voting which doesn't make any sense because you know you're then you're going to have like one centralized blockchain is supposed to be more secure than um, five or six centralized voting, uh, uh, electronic voting machine companies. And I do like the one aspect is his idea of, as you said, clarification. There are, there are a lot of things. Um, there's a bill right now for making small Bitcoin transactions uh, or just 
any crypto uh, tax exempt, which I think is is very useful. It's it's very difficult um, to account for your uh, on your taxes. You know, having to go through every single little transaction that you've done on some software wallet or with your own node or whatever that you're using um, to actually do that because everything is a taxable event. Anytime that that moves from your wallet to somebody else's wallet or or on an exchange to your wallet, everything is a taxable event, and it's a nightmare that I've been going through. I was one of those. If you remember last year, they said they had the the letters getting sent out. One was the first order was, "Hey, we think you might have done something with Bitcoin. You know, check and make sure that you are in violation." The second was, "We're pretty sure you did," and the third was, "We're really sure you should uh, 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 refile as soon as possible." Mine went to straight up the CP twenty two hundred, which is basically an audit. And I have been dealing with them um, for since June or July. Hmm. And it, it stems from I made the mistake. It was my fault, but I just use regular tax software because I don't have very prior to this complex uh, uh, taxable income. Um, so I just filed it under capital gains and I did not file the form 8949, which establishes a cost basis, mm -hmm. basically what you bought and sold it for. So they took the total volume as my income, which would make it a very substantial unreported income. And I've been going back and forth with them. It's very difficult, but any clarification because SEC, CFTC are all clamoring over who is actually going to have um, kind of the oversight over all of this space. So Federal, letter, uh, federal clarification is great, but I do like state-by-state state differences because I think small states that are more forward-thinking should be rewarded. Wait, I, I got I, I to ask you a question here. So you got a bad letter. You, you got a bad letter. Yeah, and I'm, glad, bad. I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're sharing this story because I a guy with a bad letter on yet or anyone that said they got a bad letter. So basically, you um, all it was was selling your Bitcoin, right, for, for fiat, and you didn't report it correctly. That That's the bottom line. Because the way, and I don't blame because the way that it looks at the IRS, let's just say I bought one Bitcoin at 10,000, I sold it at 10,000, I bought it again at 10,000 and then sent it to my wallet at home or uh, to, to the, the wallet that I controlled my node. To the IRS, it looks like $30,000 in unreported income because they're just counting the entire volume because they don't have a cost basis for it. And so everything that I basically did, because the 1099K uh, basically counts anything that I sent in and out as merchant income in the way that they kind of like it would be if you had a Stripe. And uh, it, it's, I don't blame them for it. I was the one who screwed up, but now it's a real nightmare. So if anybody's listening that isn't sure about how all that worked, you really need to go back. I would recommend it because you don't have the... Um, the big hand of penalties and it because they'll they'll in the interest is like it's it's staggered but it's you know five to six percent so if you have from 2013 something that you didn't report correctly and they come back i mean you could be looking at the compounded interest of six percent five six percent a year or whatever it is um for seven years and that's not going to be fun whereas if you go and fix it yourself uh they're they're a lot more um forgiving in in that aspect so it, it was my fault um i didn't understand it uh, well enough and I am learning very, very quickly um, how to actually do this correctly and doing it correctly with an actual CPA and tax attorney that knows what they're doing. I really thank you for sharing this real life story because I, I, you, you sold your big, you had to sell some Bitcoin, whether that's whatever you had to do. I tell people 
you know, to avoid all that, just don't sell your Bitcoin. <laughs> just don't. But something, I mean, I, again, you had to, yeah. whatever your personal business was. Well, I, I fancied myself a trader in 2017, which I quickly figured out that, uh, like many people did, I was uh, more just riding a wave than actually having any real insight. I'm glad you can admit that there. Because it, on all so many of my shows, I say, you know, don't be a trader, people. And people, why, why? Well, listen to what that dude just said, everybody, okay? Listen to what Dustin just said. If you think you're you're a real trader, uh, all right. So let's let's go to Alex here. We 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 covered a lot there. It started with Andrew Yang. We also talked about the what well, he wants clarification. One of the things that I think everybody wants clarification is uh, uh is is the government going to allow people just to have small transactions and not worry about the all this tax reporting what's 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 your take on everything that was just uh, said there alex a lot was just <clears throat> i mean i think you know hopefully that they they come around and they realize that uh that this is good um we're being taxed on every single transaction because we have all these unnecessary intermediaries um and that's globally like there's you know we cannot move money freely and it's money you know should move as quickly and, and freely as information um and there's you know, if you look at, uh, if, I, I come from the payments world, and if you look at like a flow of funds for any sort of transaction, it is insane how many unnecessary parties touch it. And it's because it's we're, we're, we're based on the rails that we, we had 30, 40 years ago. And, and so like part of what I love about Bitcoin is that it, it removes all of those people and it just lets you truly do P to P or, you know, P to a, you know, a person to a business, um, anywhere in the world. And, and that's part of the beauty of it. Um, at some point, whether it's through a regulated stable coin or whether it's through cryptocurrency, other, another cryptocurrency that is, uh, you know, federally mandated, um, hopefully they will see that. I think that it's going to be, um, it's going to be a difficult thing to get through. We have so many bank lobbyists. We have so many politicians that are being bought by the banks, by the credit card companies, by these, these like highly centralized institutions that I, I think it's going to take a, a long time to remove that. Um, I personally, I mean, I've talked a lot about this over the last year, and I think we're starting to see hints of it. Um, you know, in it, I, I'm super long uh, stable coin, uh, stable coins. Um, I don't, I haven't seen one that is going to, that is going to be um, pervasive, but um, I mean, Bitcoin is the end game and is what we all strive to. And I think all roads lead to Bitcoin in the long term. But in order to get there, I think you need a stable coin that is, somewhat regulated that we can use to transact uh, freely um, to reduce the fees, to remove the, the institutions. Um, and I think that that's going to be net good and it's going to lead us into this Bitcoin future. Oh, well, stable. I didn't see stable coins getting brought up today. David, what, <laughs> he just brought up stable coins. We're talking taxes. We're talking Andrew Yang. What's, what's your say on this? So it's interesting that you guys bring that up. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a podcast on my show base later next week with Jeremy Allaire from Circle. We were talking about stable coins a lot. But more importantly, as it relates to the politics here in the United States, as it relates to Yang's comments about digital assets, um, I, I think it's encouraging while you know I, I get out of the political realm because I, I find that our two-party system is toxic. Um, I, I do feel that, you know, someone who at least acknowledges that there is a future here versus the current administration, which have tweeted out that Bitcoin is associated with terrorism and all sorts of nefarious affairs. And we have 
other people within the administration that have been fairly negative on it. I think it's positive that we actually have someone who is running that is talking, you know, in, in the in the positive note of, of Bitcoin and digital assets. And so I think what's also interesting from my conversation with Jeremy, which was alluded to, is that while the the policymakers, the congressmen and women of the United States are learning about this, it was an observation from Germany that in conversations with staffers, the staffers are becoming incredibly up to speed on this very fast. And I think that's encouraging because that helps dictate better policy going forward. So while, you know, you know, the debate is up in the air and we're going to have a very interesting next few months here in the United States as it relates to the election, I think it's encouraging, you know, for any of the people that are running for office right now, that if they are obviously spending time learning about it and are, you know, pro math, for instance, or acknowledging that math and science matter versus some of the current, you know, tides that we've had to deal with, I think that is a positive going forward. All right. Yeah, I, I would say uh, I, we try to stay off politics here, too. It is incredibly toxic in the U.S., but uh, a, a positive here is that at least Andrew Yang is uh, is bringing it up. He's bringing up crypto and Bitcoin. Who knows how much he really understands it, but it's better than a lot of uh, it's better than I can envision so many of the candidates just uh, going the terrorist route with it and just associate. I mean, there's so I mean, you see in the Senate right now that that guy from California. Um, he, he, he associates it with, with the worst of the worst. Okay, I, I, enough politics. I, I, wanna, uh, I do want to ask Dustin something that was brought up real quick. We, we talked uh, stable coins there. Do, do you have anything to stay, say about stable coins or anything? Well, uh, oh, God. and it cut you out there. Oh, my Lord. Someone doesn't want Dustin to speak. All right, well, let's, let's move to a, a question that actually, first of all, in the chat, Everybody's linked to below. Everybody check out everybody's Twitter. Um, you can check out David's podcast there. You can check out everybody's company that they're talking about. Every If you just go to their Twitter accounts, they all link to everything that they talk about. All right, Dustin, you're back, baby. Yeah, apologies to everybody for – I don't know what's going on with my connection. But anyways, uh, as far as for stable coins, um, I, I think I, I agree with Alex in that I, I haven't really seen anything yet that I have a lot of confidence in. Uh, as far as for for staying power, but I do think that they are an interesting. Um, to kind of use Gary Johnson uh, to not go politics again, but Gary Johnson's uh, a baby t a baby steps take on on something like that is that you know people have a really hard way. This money itself as an abstraction is very difficult for people, or was difficult for humanity to to understand. I mean, it took a very long time to move from. Uh, straight hundred gatherer to barter to this abstraction of money, and uh, I think stable coins are an interesting way as a possible baby step um, to Bitcoin in a way for people to get used to uh, this concept of of digital assets and digital money. Uh, whereas, and it you know could be that uh, a stable coin uh, built on Bitcoin uh, could be the the killer app going for the first generation. Of, of Bitcoin, as it is a going to be a multi generational project um, for you know for in perpetuity as as long as Bitcoin exists, and it could be that thing that helps people to kind of ease into that bathtub um, and get used to the the, the temperature of the water um, as as we move forward versus the kind of the more in your face of you know private hold your own keys run your own node all that kind of stuff is is a much more kind of smack in the face. 
uh, versus uh, something like a, a stable coin uh, that would be uh, built on top of Bitcoin. Ease into the bathtub with stable coins. Mm, that could be a slogan. Pound that like button. That's my slogan. Now we're going to go to the, ch- this is show is live, by the way. So we got questions from the audience here real quick and, and statements. First of all, Tony Traveler sent 20 bucks. He said, strong hand. Thank you, man. Thanks a lot. Um, I think it was Michael said he'd see me at the Unconfiscatable in Las Vegas on the uh, 22nd of February. Wow, that's coming back up soon. In three weeks, we'll, I'll be in Las Vegas. Uh, there'll be a lot of Bitcoin people there. Check that out. Uh, and we got a question for Alex here. When will Lolly be in Canada? <laughs> Alex. You get the oh, and now Alex's connection. Oh my God, that connection that that shocked. The, okay, Alex, there you go. All right. I promise I didn't dip out on purpose on that. Okay, okay. And getting when Canada. Yeah, when Canada on on Twitter. Um. So yeah, I I mean we're we're working on it. We have uh I would say we have a lot of progress on the merchant partnership side. Uh, and right now we're we're looking at um at localizing and glo- globalizing the the site. So. Um, right now, you know, we built for the U.S. Uh, to prove out the, the the market. I think very few companies uh, go inter- international uh, day one, um, and and so it's it's very difficult to scale internationally because while we are you know working on top of Bitcoin, we do also have to deal with fiat um, rails in some cases and also regulations. And as you know, we brought up earlier with Strike, um, you know, we are thinking a lot about our users. In- and making sure that you know we are giving them the best way to earn legally, um, and and so I think that is a very important piece for us. Um, so we're bringing a lot of partners to Canada. Um, we've proven it out in the U.S. We're definitely coming there this year, um, and I would say probably best guess is two to three months, um, maybe maybe four to five, because uh, we, we really want to do it right. All right. There you go, Canadians. There are a lot of Canadians that uh, that, that watch this show, so uh, you, you've given them hope. That's 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 good. Uh, before we go, I want to I want to talk about family offices and uh, Arca and David to give us an uh, update on what's going on over there. But before that, in the description, I did say we would uh, bring up the the Bcash drama that that has been going on. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to specifically say about. They, they proposed a 12.5% tax, and then this week, uh, uh, the guy behind the, uh, the, the, the the Bitcoin.com poll, whatever that pool is that uh, you know who controls, says they, they weren't uh, they weren't down with that. Uh, real quick, Dustin, did you, you are you following this story at all? Bcash, do you do you care? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just kind of tangentially a little bit. I've, I've been uh, watching a little bit about there, and it looks like, I mean, that uh, that I, I, the the minor tax whole thing it seems to be completely uh, off the rails. I believe it looks like because I, I believe Bitcoin.com has pulled their support for it, and without that, I don't really see it going forward. Um, I mean it. Outside of Bitcoin, I would say it's it's an interesting idea about some sort of. Um, I always kind of thought that the way the Dash Fund worked was kind of interesting, uh, as far as for promoting marketing. And that's one thing. Uh, back to to, to David's uh, point about uh, institutional investors, and I think that that is, if you kind of look in a historical context, uh, one of the ways 
that the U.S. was able to uh, really kind of gain a lot of their powers. If you look back at the Whig Party, um, they did basically government contracts um, with the very wealthy people uh, by building canals and roads. And the specific aim of that by the people in the Whig Party, a Abraham Lincoln was one of them as well before it dissolved, was to bind the rich to the uh basically to the state and they would be reliant um, either in large part or in some part of their wealth and power and influence uh, to be able to uh, rely, have to have the government providing them with the money to be able to build these things. Plus they would have the obvious issues of corruption to hold over their heads. Um, so I think that if you, Bitcoin is able to bind um, both uh, stratas of uh, extreme stratas of, of society, both rich and poor, um, to them by offering um, them a really uh, lucrative incentive to do so, um, is is a really good way forward of not being as vulnerable to uh, you know regulations, um, even things such as being made illegal, which I don't really think is ever going to happen. Now they had a chance, but it's I think that day is gone. Uh, but it doesn't mean it couldn't still happen. But if you bind uh, aspects of society that have uh, either political uh, or just have political and, and, and uh, money influence, you're able to do that. Um, so in that way, you also have to be able to sell your message real well. So the idea of having some sort of fund to pay for those sorts of things that dashed it, although it doesn't seem to be working. So I, I could very, be, very well be wrong in that aspect. Yeah. So, so David, how do these crypto assets in the future go about funding their development? You, I mean, you, you do, you, your company does deal with other way beyond Bitcoin type of stuff. So I'm sure you've thought about uh, this. You've seen different uh, funding mechanisms for these uh, crypto assets, as it were. I mean, at the end of the day, we see a taxonomy breaking out within digital assets. There is Bitcoin, which is the, the store of value, the programmable money out there, um, which we obviously, you know, think is incredibly important within, a, within building a portfolio for institutional investors. Aside from that, then uh, when you break apart to proof of stake and then staking models and how that all works out, you know, we, we are definitely seeing, you know, all of the traction that's happening there or lack of traction as well, too. It's not just, you know, positive. It's also negative. And we're starting to see projects, you know, go to the wayside. But I, I think in terms of the overall momentum in regards to institutional investors and family offices, what we find quite interesting, State Street, which is a big custodial here in the United States, did a survey towards the end of last year where they showed that 94 percent of 101 institutional investors have some sort of proclivity, some sort of interest, or want to get involved with Bitcoin and other digital assets in 2020. And I think that's a really good uh, kind of marker for, for you know potential growth going forward. Fidelity did a survey last year with 401, which we talked about last time we were on. And so we are seeing a momentum shift. There was a bit of a lull in Q4 in regards to kind of the overall sentiment uh, from institutional investors regarding Bitcoin. Um, and some of the other digital assets. But that has changed uh, over the course of the last four to five weeks, I'd say, dramatically. And again, I think it is this kind of concept and this idea that Bitcoin can be a hedge against global macro calamity. And we are starting to see evidence to prove that and show people that, that it actually is working in that favor. Um, and so the more data that we're able to collect, the more analysis that we're able to do, 
provides investors of that type of ilk uh, a little bit more confidence coming into the asset class itself. And I also, you know, whenever I talk to a family office and an institutional investor, the fact that Bitcoin has been around for 10 years has not died, even though people have said that it's going to be dying 300 plus times. It has not died um, and it has not gone anywhere. And in fact, as we talked about at the beginning of the, st of the show, we're actually seeing, you know, upward sloping adoption rates. And so I think all of that factors into some positive momentum going to 2020. And, you know, as we have more black swan events like we're dealing with right now with the coronavirus, I think more investors are starting to realize that they need something that is 24 seven, 365 that allows them to mitigate those risks. Hmm. So as, hey, it's very your take is very interesting. Positive sentiment toward uh, Bitcoin the last few weeks because of the negative things going on in the world. Very uh, this is, uh, it's, uh, I, I, I try not to, people are going to see Bitcoin the way they're going to see it, you know, it, it, as a way to protect against these negative things. I, I try not to look at the negatives, but Hey, you're, you're telling us how the, the people, how the people with the money are thinking. So this is uh very interesting. I want those family offices to pile into that Bitcoin baby for whatever reason, uh, that they, they may want to do it. Go ahead. Make my day. All right. So, uh, Alex, uh, I don't know if you have anything to say about the Bcash thing we we're talking about before, but uh, give us uh, if you do say it. But tell us what's going on at Lolly. Also, any developments? Um, yeah, we're working on the mobile app. That's our big focus right now. Um, so the mobile app is going to let people earn on more things, on more daily purchases. Uh, so we've been working really hard on that. Um, international has been a big um, uh, piece of of this of 2020. So giving Bitcoin to more people in more places, uh, expanding to Canada and creating. Um, really like a template for expanding to new countries. So um, I think that like we've, we've proven out the model in the US. Uh, we, we now want to take this model to different places. And, you know, Bitcoin is inherently global. So we, we want to be, be global. So building out the mobile strategy and then expanding out to uh, Canada is, is a big piece. Uh, we have some really big partnerships that we landed. Um, I think as far as like merchants go, uh, a lot of merchants sort of like, close off all meetings and partnerships during the holidays. So now we're like ramping up the business development side again. And uh, we have some really big partnerships that we're going to announce over the next few weeks and months. Um, but yeah, things are, things are moving forward. We've, we're feeling really good about Bitcoin. Um, yeah. Keeping that uh, the strong hands and, and uh, keep moving forward. All right. Pound that like button with a strong hand people. All right. So Dustin, you got the, uh, did you know, podcast. And I really, I, <laughs> I explored your archives. I saw that uh, interview you did uh, uh, with, with Ben Hunt, which was very good. He, he, he wants to like Bitcoin, but he doesn't exactly like Bitcoin, and he's worried about Libra. It was a great interview. Uh, you check out uh, Dustin's Did You Know podcast, but tell us about your podcast and uh, anything. Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, yeah, thanks. So that, that was an interesting interview. I think Ben is very... Uh, he's really sympathetic to it, but his take was that we're just trying to play in the same sandbox as, uh, as central banks. And that's where he thinks that we are, are failing. I didn't agree, but you know, he's more than free to do that. And, and I had a lot of uh, interesting interviews, people like Caitlin Long and uh, Phil Zimmerman was also, even though he's also very critical of, of Bitcoin, but uh, the creator of PGP. Um, and we talked about Hal Finney for quite a bit. So that, that was a really fun interview. Um, mainly, uh, 
it's it's diginocrypto.com but i created that back like in uh the days when i was uh, a little uh, much less bitcoin centric um but i just didn't change the the address yet um so the the podcast really focuses on as of late uh any uh, kind of things that have to do with uh bitcoin especially kind of the more esoteric fringe concepts and and philosophy behind it and kind of this uh, emerging uh, concepts of the the I guess you want to call it the Bitcoin cult um, um, and these very uh, kind of religious ideas that have been forming up around it and we talk a lot about that with the various guests um, I just had Friar Hass on not too long ago um, I had a Gigi uh, Max Hillebrand and we talked a lot about uh, I just kind of enjoy these fringe concepts uh, within uh, Bitcoin and everybody's uh, welcome to go it's on every single major podcast platform at did you know crypto.com you can find all of those or just look up did you know podcast there dude you were just dropping some names gg was on this show last week and uh the week before we had hass on all all good to and uh max has got to return to the show one of one of these days but yeah you've got a good thing going on there i like that you let people from outside the space on that have like ben hunt i think uh he, he was that was a very interesting one i know I'm, I'm going back to that one again but and i talked about it on another video actually so people check that out check him out we'll let uh david nage have the uh final word here anything you want to say about arca just uh conclusionary thoughts anything uh current events yeah i i think we are moving into Really interesting times right now, especially here in the United States, as we alluded to. Uh, there are those that over the course of the last few weeks, not as it relates to Bitcoin and digital assets, but there seems to be a movement now towards uh, investors that are looking at climate, for instance. And as someone who is used to uh, look at that you know, over the last 10 years, it was banging my head against the wall trying to get people to take a look at the tech that was being developed. And now all of a sudden... It seems that, you know, big investors like USV and Sequoia and other venture capitalists are coming to the to the table in a very big way. Chris Saka just uh, started uh, another a VC fund focused on this. And I think it's quite interesting that we also see that coupled with things that are happening with companies like Tesla. And that has obviously moved quite significantly over the last few weeks. And so there seems to be a movement. And I, I don't think it's I'm, I'm talking more in, in general terms of technology that people are understanding that there have been huge technological innovations that have occurred over the last you know, five to 10 years that are quite important that are now maturing and now have the ability to be investable. And so I think this is a very good thing for Bitcoin and other digital assets going forward is that there seems to be an acknowledgement and there seems to be capital flowing to millennials and to younger generations that want to make these investments. And I think that's really important going forward. So it's a really interesting time uh, to be on the front lines of Bitcoin and, and the overall space, you know, the overall adoption. And we saw the the the, the education uh, are continuing. And I think, you know, companies like Lolly that allow people to actually earn Bitcoin for their usual behaviors and some of the other projects that are coming to market that are moving from, you know, testnet to mainnet um, that are offering, you know, things like a cold wallet, a cold card that offers more security for your digital assets and Bitcoin. Things all are happening right now that are very exciting. And I think we're in some very interesting times going forward. We had to deal with, you know, crypto winter for the last year, year and a half. And I think, you know, it's my hope that we are starting to uh, move from that and, and move to better narratives about maturation of this overall uh, innovation and this revolution. Yeah, I, I think that's a positive way to end things. Golden age we're entering. 
Uh, you know, we might have some negative things, negative worries. That the whole the trend is positive. This world is becoming uh, more technologically advanced. People want to get on future trends like Tesla, as you brought up uh, in a tweet that I actually mentioned your tweet on yesterday's show. Check that out, everybody. And big uh, cryptocurrency. This is this is the future. Golden age, 2020s. We are in the 2020s. We're about to enter the second month of the 2020s this weekend. So thank you very much, guest. You all rocked it. You did a great job. Thank you so much. Remember, we do this show every Friday. So I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister Disrupt. Meister, you get a new show here every day. It's not just this week in Bitcoin. Saturday, we'll be back for Beyond Bitcoin. So remember, check out the links below. Check all of their Twitters out. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. I'm the Bitcoin Meister. Pound that like button. See you tomorrow, next week, whenever. Have a fun time uh, watching a football game if you happen to be doing that this weekend. But keep on learning here and uh, check out all the archives. Follow me on Twitter, TechBall, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Thanks a lot, guys. See ya. Bye-bye. Let us uh, – hang on. I forgot to click on stop live stream. Bye-bye, everyone.